Hello, here we are, back again for episode 7 of The Thirst Time. Now if you're just joining us, then welcome. The aim of this show is to give you a little look behind the curtain into the careers and minds of some of the creative and hard-working individuals in the beer industry today, and what that first beer was that led them down this path. Now, when I started this, I wanted to try and make sure that we weren't going too hard on the beer geekery side of things, and that each conversation felt approachable and not just an assault of beer knowledge, and partly that's because uh, I don't really know what I'm talking about. I totally fell into this job, and have had to try and learn as much as I can along the way. There's been times when I've just smiled and nodded as people talk about fermentation temperatures or the alpha content of certain hops. There's been a lot of, I have no idea what I'm doing and maybe I shouldn't be here kind of thing. And I'm just extremely grateful that people have let me ask endless questions and not chastise me for making a mistake or three. Now, the reason I mention this is because all of those things are kind of covered in today's conversation. And my guest is Hannah Murphy, who headed up the sales of Cloudwater and has recently moved on to Pastures New with the beautiful Bristol guys at Left Handed Giant. Now, it was so great to sit down and talk to her about her journey working with a rapidly growing brewery who are right at the forefront of the craft beer movement and all the insecurities that come with working in an industry that is totally and utterly new to you. I found myself nodding in agreement many, many times, and it was a total trip down memory lane, partly because Hannah was a neighbour. She just she was just around the corner working up at Cloudwater and was always on hand if ever I needed to know how to, uh, well, do my job, I guess. <laughs> uh, this was such an honest and open conversation and I can't thank Hannah enough for sharing it with me. So before I wait her on too much, let's get to it. We start, as we always do, with what that first beer was for her. Um, I think it was, I don't even know what year it was, maybe... Oh, I can't even remember, I'm not going to try to remember. But we were at, um, I was out with a few friends at um, a really, I'm not sure if it's cool, but um, like a, a stock to- Stockport's version of uh, Oktoberfest called Stocktoberfest. Amazing. So, uh, we were there and it was at Stockport Market. Um, don't know if you've ever been there, but it's a really nice old market hall. Yeah, um, it, still has, it still has a guy who like sells train sets and things like that. It's beautiful. Yep, definitely. You can still get your... Uh, your granny big knickers there if you want yeah um but yeah so it was a little mini sort of beer festival and obviously all lager focused um and I remember having a Augustina Edelstoff and I was like this is not like any lager I've ever tried before and I was like this is really nice and just remember I think that was the first time I remember talking about a beer with my friends rather than just drinking it mm-hmm. so I'd always been a beer drinker like drank you know Bexbeer and Amstel and stuff like that all the way through uni. Um, but yeah, that, I think that was the first one where I kind of thought, oh, that's pretty good. And then I think it just, we drank that all night. And then from that point, I remember starting to notice beer and to look out for other sorts of beers um, when I was in the supermarket or wherever. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's the one that sort of 
Were you fr- was everyone talking about it when you had that beer or was were people kind of just like Hannah you need to just shut up going on about that beer it's just just uh, another lager <laughs> I don't remember people doing that um <laughs> one, of my, one of my good friends I remember saying to her when we were like both like this is really nice and I gave it to my friends I was like try this one it's really nice it's from the store around the corner and, uh, and they all agreed and but I think we just then just ended up enjoying it and having a nice time so. yeah Oh, that's that's cool because it's kind of interesting because I guess like most people that I've done the interview with have, have, have had something that was a really big kind of flavor difference to what they were already drinking. So it's just yeah. like something just totally shifted. But like that's just a really well produced lager. So it's not like it obviously tastes way different to like a Beck's beer, but it's not this huge kind of like big upfront flavor that you're going to be like, whoa, um, it's a little bit more subtle than that. Yeah, I think I just remember the sort of like, because obviously you mass produced lagers are all very clean. There's not really much in the way of flavour going on. And I think this just had a bit of a flavour profile. And I was like, oh, this is uh, this is new to me, and I like it. So, uh, but I, I think that was the, the first time I can remember anyway. And when were you kind of, and then was it quite an immediate voyage into trying different things? Like you were saying about being in the supermarket and just thinking, oh, I'm going to maybe change this up a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Um, I started sort of then moving more into sort of having different cask beers as well, sort of like ales. Like my dad was always a bitter drinker and he, that's always what he had in the pub. Um, and I started giving them a go. And I guess that's when I started finding hops I mean obviously there's not that there's nothing that impactful in a cask beer most <laughs> of the time uh, uh, but yeah I think that's when I started sort of knowing that there was different flavors and different aspects of beer that could be discovered basically so before we had this interview I was saying about you were my basically not an agony aunt as such but every time I had a problem I'd be on the phone to you to help me solve it because you were up the road at Cloudwater. Um, but I don't actually know like how you kind of came to be at Cloudwater. Um, for those that don't know, you were there for four years? Yeah, it was pretty much exactly four years. When I and you, you headed up all of the sales on, on that side of things. So I was a pharmacy technician before I joined Cloudwater, ah. um, looking for Boots, which is obviously the big well-known chain. Uh, and I've been there for 10 years and I just kind of reached the point where I was like I need a new job so to kind of cut a long story short I yeah we've got, that, we've, got we've got time so you can, you can <laughs> <laughs> it rambles on there yeah. um but yeah like the Christmas before I joined Cloudwater I kind of decided I wanted like I needed a new job I thought about what I liked doing and what I wanted to do I still didn't really know what I wanted to do career-wise or when I grow up as they say um but I just know I was enjoying beer at that point in time um, and I'd I remember drinking a beer it was a session IPA by Cloudwater at Heat and Hops um, so Heat and Hops is a little um, craft beer bar takeaway yeah. shop uh, I would call my local craft beer bar um, and I'd, we'd been frequenting there with my friends quite a lot and Damien said to me he's like oh this Cloudwater a lot like you should try it this session IPA is really good and we had it, and me and my friends were on it all night um, in those, you know, really cool-looking craftmaster glasses. Yeah. We didn't know that at the time. <laughs> and then I just started following them on Twitter and stuff like that. Um, 
and then another job advert came up for a bookkeeping role and I was just like oh sod it like I've got I literally had no qualifications for it it was like asking for accounting experience had none of that <laughs> I didn't do great in maths at school but you know I was all right so but I don't know I just took a punt anyway and applied one day whilst I was making my tea and I actually funnily enough I missed Paul's reply to my application for about a good day and then it was like on the day that they were doing interviews and Paul was like are you free to come in and I was like oh shit so I emailed him back quickly and I was like um I can't come in today but I can come in tomorrow before work um so I did and I got there nice and early and they I think they'd it was Emma and Paul that interviewed me and that was, oh man, this is so, this is taking me like a full trip down memory lane here. Because um, they just burst onto the scene at that time. And like you said, the Craftmaster glasses and yeah. just uh, big hop forward beers. And they'd assembled this kind of like little crack team of super experienced people like James, who'd brewed at Marble, Will France, Emma, uh, Al was there ah. as well. Yeah. And it was just, yeah. So like decades and decades worth of experience. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you you you're in the interview and you still don't really know <laughs> much about like beer or bookkeeping. So this sounds like yeah, you you must have spun this really well. I to, I'm not too sure how, but uh, but yeah, so I turned up pretty early. I stood outside for about ten minutes because there was nobody there. And uh, but anyway, I think because I had no expectations of me getting the job, I just literally went in there. I wasn't particularly smartly dressed. I just just kind of like smart casual and just caught sort of. I think I was just super relaxed. So basically went in, we had a little chat. Paul was like, just asking me questions about what I did, what I wanted out of the job. Uh, we had a chat about Glastonbury for about 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> and then we shook hands and I went to work and didn't think anything of it. And I just thought, you know, it's a good experience to have another interview. What was uh, what was your impression of uh, old Mr. Jones when, when you first met him in the interview? Um, I, I can't really remember, to be honest. I mean, he's he's always very welcoming and yeah. um, very chatty. Yeah. And yeah, we just like, like I said, we had a chat about Glastonbury and about how he tried to scale the fence one year, and <laughs> I just thought it was funny. So it was like, cool. um, but yeah, and then by the time I got to work, and it, like about half an hour later, he texted me and just said, "I want to let you know I'm going to give you the job." So I was just oh. like, I was like. Ugh. Because obviously I've been at Boots for 10 years. I was like, shit. I was like, what am I supposed to do with this information? I mean, obviously it's exciting when you get like a new job that you've gone for, but like also the world you were entering, did it just feel like a total unknown still? Yeah, massively so. Like I, I came home and I think I had a chat with my sister and I was like, I, I was like, what should I do? Like, shall I take it? And she was like, Hannah, you've been trying to get out of Boots for years. Just take it. What's the worst that could happen? You like beer, so just just go for it and see what happens basically. So. So I did, and I made the jump, and I think I left. I still had holidays to take, so I think I was there within like two and a half weeks. So it wasn't even that long. I just kind of went for it. So. And was that uh, then just a gauntlet of just like, right, I need to try loads of different beers, or were you still just kind of just like steady away, go to heat and hops, uh, clear the shelves? and. Um, I can't, I can't really remember ever thinking, oh, my God, I need to try these beers, but obviously as soon as I was there, as soon as I got there, there was all, like I said, there was all this wealth of people that had loads of industry, industry years behind them. Yeah. And they were just like, they would openly talk about all these different breweries. And I was just like, 
what? I was like, who are they? Who are they? Did, did it feel kind of like a, because it can be, because I remember kind of, again, when you're in those conversations and people just have this wealth of knowledge and when it was just such a new world, um, kind of intimidating at points because you're a bit like, man, I have no idea what any of these people are talking about. Is that how it felt at that time? 100%. Yeah, I remember, I think it was maybe three weeks in and we were all sat in, you've been in the kitchen at Cloudwater, it's pretty small. So there mm-hmm. was, I was the 10th employee at that point, so we were all squashing the kitchen. And we were doing a beer tasting and I think Paul had brought a few different beers and there was like wild beer and um, who else did he bring? A few other different breweries. And I was basically just sat in the corner all quiet like this. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who these people are. And <laughs> I don't know the backgrounds or anything. So, but you soon get sucked in. Yeah. And if you, again, when you, when you love things, it, it doesn't necessarily feel like work and it feels more like you, you want to know about those things and you want to be involved in those conversations. And it just reminded me about like when I was, when I worked in a bar and uh, it was like, it was, the Beagle in Charlton, which is run by Johnny, who has Port Street, and Port Street's one of like the first beer bars in in Manchester, like a really beer centric. And we had to do like a a full tasting, and there was like Jeremy who owned Beer Moth, and all these super smart people who knew shitloads about beer, and I knew nothing at that time. And we had to bring a beer, and then I was going to bring in like a vedette or something like that. And then I was partnered up with someone, and they were like, "You can't bring that, otherwise people will just laugh at you." And I was like, okay. Um, so yeah, it's it's funny, like looking back at those times. Of, and it was a very new thing for a lot of people. So the people at Cloudwater that Paul had kind of assembled were, you know, they they were really, really experienced in an area that wasn't really that explored by a lot of people. Um, I mean, like James, James was the first brewer, was he at Marble? I think so. If it, well, he was just a head brewer for years, wasn't he? And then- yeah. And then obviously Al, who massively, you know, educated on engineering and just knows how to fix everything. Yeah. And also, you know, his love for wild beers and, you know, wild yeast and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. And then you had Emma, who'd come from Brewdog, who years and years of experience of being like an area manager there. So she had all of that behind her. It was, yeah, it was, it was quite intimidating. So how did you find those? that training session then when you were sat with the with the beers like because you, you must have been trying beers that you'd never had before for instance yeah. like wild beers and things like that yeah so I think I can't remember there was some that were quite liked and we definitely had we tried Dipper V1 and V2 side by side um, which funnily enough I'd had both of those at Heating Hops anyway because obviously the whole hype train had come along and it was like, oh, it's Dipper Day. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, sure, came along. <laughs> Felt pissed after a third. But um, <laughs> yeah, we tried them side by side. And then there was um, there was a Wild Beer Co. beer. And I can't remember what beer it was, but I just remember drinking it and being like, that's disgusting. Because I think it was like a sour beer. And I was like, oh, no, that's not for me. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I think it was Lucy. Uh, Lucy Clark was saying to me, she was like, "Oh, she's like, you know, your palate will change, and you'll you'll start to learn to like these things." I was like, "No, it's gross." Yeah, but, I think that's a, that's a lot of. I I had like a girl's boon or something, and someone gave me that, and I was like, "What the 
is this like it just it, I couldn't compute it like sourness is not a, a flavor that you kind of associate with a nice drink really it was it just felt so acidic and so intense but now yeah like you say you do grow to love them um so take us so so was that did it feel quite exciting being there at that time because that was like like the dip of v1 and v2 like that was the start of a real movement i guess in in, in beer circles yeah massively so um so i joined it was the day after Cloud Wars for his birthday so i was I think I was the first one there and everybody else was massively hungover and late because we'd all had a massive party the day before. But um, <laughs> that's another story. Um, but yeah, it was like, it was at that point, it was the first year, they kind of obviously been brewing beers, had a few issues with quality, but then also like people weren't really buying into it straight away. So we're having to try and flog these beers, like these cases of beers somehow. But then as soon as the V-Series got kicked in, that I think is what exploded cloud water into everybody's sort of craft limelight. And we couldn't, yeah. So V1 and V2, I think I came in just after that. And then obviously V3, which still now seems to be, like, I think it's still now one of cloud water's highly rated beers. Um, and that was sort of the game changer, I think. So then after V3, we couldn't brew enough to sort of go around. It was crazy. Just everybody wanted it, and then four and five, we tried to brew. I think we tried to brew. They were like a joint thing. We tried to brew as much as people wanted, and we still didn't have enough. And it was, it was tricky. It was, um, but it was. It was also really exciting because it was kind of catapulting us into the trajectory of where it, where Cloud Water is, is, is gone, and, and kind of where it's is still going. So. Yeah, and I guess, I, 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 man, doing this podcast, you just realize how much you repeat yourself. But <laughs> it was like being at the start of a of a movement of a kind, you know, like like double IPAs had been kind of done and played around with, but that that really uh, launched it into the stratosphere. And like you said, V3 is one of the most highly rated beers that Cloudwater do at all these years later. Yeah. Um, and... This is exactly why I wanted to speak to you, really, because you were you were like at the start of this big juggernaut that is Cloudwater now, like one of the most renowned and, and well-known um, kind of breweries in the craft beer circle in in the UK, and if if not, like definitely Europe and maybe even the world at the mo- at the moment. Well, obviously, rate beer would say they they would have second, but we'll get to that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, just just giving us a sense of kind of what was happening because. Firstly, you were bottling back then. We were. Which we actually got that bottling line. And (laughs) that was the labor intensity of that thing was wild. So so can you remember like doing like when when people were really wanting the V-series, can you remember the size of the bottling runs and what was happening behind the scenes and how intense that was? Yeah, 100%. I was obviously in the office and... Sales weren't, it wasn't quite as sort of intense. I didn't need to be sort of at my desk the whole time. So um, I think one of the first things I did when I first started at Cloudboard was sit under the stairs, bottling, um, labeling bottles like by hand with wet. And it was, I was like, what is this? And like, it's like baby stamping. Um, but yeah, it got to a point where we'd have like 10,000 bottle runs and it'd be basically need a double shift. So I would have to come down and sort of, cover the break so I was on I was bottling 
whilst people were ringing me on the phone and it was yeah it was a lot of sort of running up and down the stairs and yeah was, I can't yeah. imagine because like I say we got that bottle in line and I I did it quite a few times and uh it is labor intensive because you have like 10 kilos worth of bottles then getting fluid in and then you have to take them all like 24 off at once and then put them into um into each individual box and it's it's basically just a total pain in the ass the stress of having that like grabber that gets all 24 yeah having to like say hold that weight of like there were like 16 kilos were they when they were full 16 kilos or something like that it was like yeah if you like accidentally just press the wrong button or something it it was it was scary i was like do not smash this do not drop it it." and i guess was that so did it feel because it must have been quite stressful because there's so much work going on like you're doing shifts there but it felt exciting still did people still and what were people's reactions in the brewery when they were and your reaction when you were trying these beers out the tank and things it was it, it was kind of um the, the phrase that you've, you've loved to use in all your episodes so far is mind-blowing uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying not to use it insane and mind-blowing and just keep coming up it's like fuck Get it for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no it, it kind of was like we were trying them and they were like i think v3 was the first one where you we used the vermont yeast in and it like just gave off these massive tropical flavors like hardly any bitterness and like the body on it was incredible and I was like this is just like juice like this just tastes like fruit juice like I don't understand how a beer can taste like this um so I think I mean I don't 100% remember having the sort of excitement of releasing v3 but I remember the the reaction to it and it was um and it, yeah it was it was it like I said it was kind of a game changer really mm-hmm. I think people enjoyed following the journey um with us and our and every single beer was quite different so I think that was what sort of people invested in yeah I remember going to the launch of the beers and it was I think there was like there was a saison on cask there was (laughs) there was like yeah there was like a radler there was an IPA obviously a pale ale but yeah it was a very uh, there was a lemon goza and like a Seville orange sour or something but it was a full array of beers it wasn't just like a couple of IPAs it was yeah. a broad style um so yeah what that's the kind of brewery sense and that, that was really picking up and getting exciting but how was your journey did you feel the the sales obviously started just skyrocketing so everything that goes on behind that the organization the distribution and all those kind of um side of things did that start feeling like keeping you up at night basically <laughs> like locked your um, teeth grinding I don't remember it doing so in maybe the first couple of years. Um, we never, like, whilst I was, like, the whole time I was there, we, we never had enough beer for people. So it kind of sold itself. Mm-hmm. So, again, um, and, I mean, I, I very quickly didn't get into doing the sort of accounting side of the business and, and then flipped and then went in basically full on into sales. Um, so it was kind of the easiest sales job I guess yeah. I basically just spent most of my time telling people we had no beer and uh, and just disappointing people on a daily basis which is it's not a bad problem to have but it's kind of a, <laughs> a bit like it gets you down a little bit sometimes and you're just like I'm really sorry but I haven't got enough beer and you're trying to promise people some and then you've got distributors like you know that want to do a like oh can we have 30 cases of every single beer and I'm like 
no we packed by 80 like what do you want like what do you want me to do like I can't give you that many you know I can't give you that many so it was just yeah basically a day-to-day sort of I remember for about two years just saying no to everybody most of the time that sounds like a great job yeah and then, yeah. <laughs> and then you'd have the phone ring in and it'd be like people from China people from France people from Denmark wanting to buy your beer and I'm like I don't even have enough of the UK I don't know when I'm ever going to have enough to be able to export it but so it was I mean yeah like I say now going through the stages and going through to the other side of where you have got beer to sell it's not it's a nice problem to have like I would never slide that off like I used to when I was saying no to everybody so I want to work a bit harder for these sales (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I mean that clarify journey is is interesting because I mean, it was started with that core team of people. And then I guess the bit, like the huge thing, because we were just down the road, was that uh, rate beer second best brewery. Was it second best brewery in the world? We got fifth and then we got second, yeah. Fifth and then second. Um, and do you remember the kind of like moment that that kind of came in and the feeling in the brewery and stuff? Yeah, I remember, I think Paul, it was Paul away and picked up all the, the medals at the rate beer best. Um, and that's what I think that's when we got very fifth and there's loads of pictures of him with all these you know loads of medals around his neck mm-hmm. quite funny um, but it's not it wasn't the rate beer ratings thing was never anything that we massively talked about in the brewery to be honest um, the same with Untapped it wasn't really something that we judged ourselves on um, we were kind of our own worst critic really yeah, we were more hard on ourselves than anybody else ever was. So it was just, it was just kind of like a nice, it was just a nice reward really for the sort of hard work of, of what the sort of brew team had done to sort of develop the the recipes and, um, and sort of for Paul's research and all these trips he'd been away to America and brought stuff back and and shared sort of brewing techniques and and all you know the styles and. Because he used to he used to come back from America and bring like three suitcases back full of beer. I remember, I remember, like he was literally like a you know an explorer of of beer, and that's and that's yeah. kind of what Cloudwater did, which was almost be ambassadors for like American beer culture back into the UK and picking up all those ideas. He found this niche in America where they sold it all out of their front door, fresh. Yeah. It was in people's hands within like a, not even a day of being canned. And you could make the biggest margin and you could, you know, and then all that money could then be reinvested into the brewery and you could have sort of big growth. And he was, and that was always his sort of, that was his aim was to try and bring that back to the UK. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, so he, he brought all these amazing beers back. I remember he brought loads of stuff back from Trillium once and we all had a, a you know, a beer tasting in the brewery. And it was like, it was crazy, the sort of beers that they were producing. and. Yeah, it was an eye opener. That's that ambassador kind of thing. There was a lot of people that um, were coming over that were kind of through like Port, like the Veil and other half, and people like that that were definitely, you know, attached to Cloudwater's kind of name. And Paul had obviously been over there and spoken to him and brewed with him. And yeah, and yeah. then was bringing back all these ideas back into the UK. But that was when you, your guys' tap room was in the brewery like just in the yeah. end and you were doing like table service and all that kind of stuff oh the glory days i missed yeah. that tap <laughs> yeah i don't know if anyone will have been back then but yeah it was it was table service and 
just a couple five lines attached to it yeah uh yeah it was it was a lot of fun back then because we were throwing the parties down the road and you were i remember like having the full cloud water crew just keep would just come in after hours and uh and dance until the till the sun came up yeah absolutely times this (laughs) yeah they were wild man um so how did your kind of role there develop? Was was it just, because obviously the, the demand's there now. So does the expansion just keep going and going? Because you built up pretty quickly. I said you, like when you when you were at Cloudwater, um, the capacity was, went on a pretty sharp increase. Yeah, so I, can't, I think it was about a year after I'd started, we then got a load of new tanks. Um I think we tripled our cellar capacity. Um, so we introduced five 72 heck tanks, um, got a new bright beer tank. Um, because when we were, were making the V dippers, which I think were coming out about every six weeks or so, mm-hmm. um, they were basically taking up the majority of our cellar and we didn't have any room to brew anything else, basically. So you were just you were just brewing like multiple batches of that and so filling, yeah, all of your fermenters. Yeah, I think it was maybe V five and six that ended up taking up like a third of our cellar or something ridiculous, which mm-hmm. at the time was quite a lot. Um, yes, we increased. Yeah, obviously got more tanks in, um, and just gradually increased our production, and it just kind of we still couldn't keep up with demand. So it was it was great. All of a sudden, we had all this beer, and we were like trying to you know we could then eventually sort of please some of the distributors, please all the, the customers that were sort of coming in. Um, and then it also gave us the flexibility to be able to brew different styles as well. We weren't just kind of restricted to doing IPAs and dippers because that's what that's what we needed to brew to sort of keep this rhythm going and this sort of momentum. How was everyone how was everyone coping with it? Because it was like I say I keep it was rapid. Was was everyone managing to keep up with it all right? Or was it starting to did it start to begin to strain certain aspects of the brewing team or this, that, and the other? I think it did sort of in waves, but then we also we rapid our workforce rapidly grew at the same time. Yeah. So I think so when I joined, I was I said earlier, I was the tenth employee at that time. And then I think I mean, by the time I left, we were at like 43. So in four years, it's, you know, it's it's massively grown. Yeah. Um, but we just, yeah, we just like brought in new brewers and obviously we needed people in the warehouse and then packaging. The only the only sort of area that didn't get expanded was sales. So it was kind <laughs> of just me. <laughs> All on you. It was just me for a very, very long time until we got our online shop. Now this next question wasn't actually planned, but I'm so glad I asked it because this really does give you an idea of the change that happened in the course of a year for Hannah and also Cloudwater. I am of course talking about her first experience and maybe even their first experience at an international beer festival. Now these places can be pretty intense, especially when you're new to it. I remember them very well. Uh, none more so than MBCC, the mecca of European beer festivals. I won't give too much away, but needless to say, the two festivals a year apart were very different experiences, <laughs> and you're going to find out all about it. 
You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the First Time, and this is our interview with Hannah Murphy. So the other thing that kind of came with all the cloud water thing, I, I guess it felt like beer started becoming a lot more international, especially in Europe and like festivals. And I wondered what your kind of early festival experiences were with Cloudwater. Do you remember the first one you went to? Um, so the first one was um, MBCC, which I think it was still called CBC back then. Um, we weren't pouring, but Paul took us all on our basically our belated Christmas due, um, which I like. I'd started in the February, and then we went in the May. Yeah. And I saw it on the calendar and it was like full team out into Copenhagen. And I was like, surely that doesn't mean me. And then I remember, I think it was about two weeks before and he was like, right, Hannah, we're taking the whole team to Copenhagen. And I'm like, what, including me? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, great. Okay. So we all, <laughs> we all like all 10 of us descended on Copenhagen. And I just, I remember being in that festival and I don't like, if anyone's ever been to CBC slash NBCC, it's obviously very busy. Everybody's frantic. There's queues everywhere. The glasses are tiny. And I I think I remember seeing one of the glasses for the first time when um, Emma and Alan invited us all around to their house. And Mark, so Mark, who's, you know, current brewery manager at Cloudwater, had it in this little small glass. And he was like, it's the perfect size of beer. And me being a lager drinker, I was like, what? I was like, it's not a pint. Like, what are you want about? You're drinking off fucking symbols, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I was being dead laddie about it. I was like, that's shit. I was like, whatever. And then, so then, yeah, I went to this beer festival and everyone was running around trying all these tiny bits of beer and getting all excited about it. And I, was, and I just remember sitting on a bench, just feeling completely lost and having no idea what I was doing. Didn't, really know the guys at Cloudwater that well by that point like we weren't busy mates or anything so mm-hmm. all the other guys kind of just went off and did their own thing because they knew what they were doing and I just sat on this bench and was like uh, I was just reading a list of beers and I was like um and I, I remember thinking to myself I was like I wonder if anyone's got a session IPA on <laughs> and it was just it was impossible it was like two and I was like well that's a shame but oh. and that's actually thinking back now it's that mentality is crazy. Like it just seems normal to me now. But back then when I was just used to drinking pints and wanted something that was sessionable, you know, anything over 4%, 4.5%, I was like, it's a bit strong. Oh, I think, you know, a lot of the people like listening to this will have had that experience the first time they saw uh, a third glass. Wait, yeah. wait, I remember seeing it. I was like, what the fuck do you do with that? Like, that's nothing. Because <laughs> um, I was from, yeah, I'm from like, you know, kind of older pubs in, in Yorkshire and stuff. And it was all pints or like, if you really wanted to have like a lot, then maybe you'd do a half pint. But everyone would do like pints of all of these different cask beers. And then you go to MBCC, which is, is it a sixth of a sixth of a pint? Or something? It's, it's five centiliters. Five centiliters. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, which is, you know, the size that your whiskey would be back in the... Yeah, exactly. Uh, back in a pub in Stockport. Um, oh, that's really interesting, though, because I think, again, getting back to that kind of feeling of... It is quite an intimidating place, and, I mean, there's nothing more intimidating than if you don't know what anything about what's going on. Like, MBCC is huge, and I went there last year or the year before 
after having like four or five years experience in the in the brewery industry and there were still so many breweries that I didn't know who, who they were and like they've saw so many from all around the world and yeah you've got your people who are just sitting there like doing the tick lists some other people who are just having a no- nice time and then yeah just like you you're really intense drinkers who want to try every single beer they can um so it must have felt super alien yeah it really was like I think at that point I haven't I've been to beer festivals but like by beer festivals I mean like going to Stockport Beer and Cider Festival that's held in Edgley Park like around the corner from my house <laughs> where you drink moody pints of cask or you yeah. know Mida. um I had never been to anything like that I hadn't like I hadn't even been to sort of like I don't know like Leeds International Beer Festival which is kind of more of a in between I would say where you can get a pint if you want like, yeah. I hadn't even been to any of them I just kind of got thrown in the deep end at NBCC and was just like what the fuck is this I was like I just didn't understand the concept at all it was uh it was crazy but, and did did you kind of start feeling a little bit um because I, I definitely had this in, in the past of like kind of like imposter syndrome just like what is this the right thing am I in the right place here or were you still having a good time but it just felt uh a little bit like you had a lot to learn yeah I think well I think it was the first the first session on the Friday I mean this is my own fault because I was horrendously hungover because we've been to war pigs the night before and we got absolutely trashed so then I and then we had to go back to war pigs in the morning because Paul had arranged for us to go and have a talk with white labs oh man I was, I was just at the back not really understanding what was going on because I didn't really have much knowledge of yeast um, and also wanting to be sick so it was um, it was it was bad, and then and then we had to go to the festival as well. So I just kind of sat there feeling a bit sorry for myself, and also not knowing anybody really, other than obviously the car walk a lot, and a lot of the other guys that had obviously been in the industry longer were seeing people that they knew because obviously a lot of the British beer team flocks to Copenhagen for that one weekend. Mm-hmm. And I just I felt I felt completely left out. I felt like I was like I don't know anyone here, and I was like I just. I was like, I just want to go back to the, to the Airbnb. I'm not sure I like this. Um, but then once I got over my hangover, and I think it was this, this Friday evening session, um, I think I think it was Robin who took me around um, and we went and tried a load of sour beers. And then that kind of like, I was like, hmm, I was like, these are actually quite nice. And I started sort of like trying loads of different beers and sort of slowly got into it. And then I think the Saturday... By the Saturday day, I was kind of like, right, I think I know what's going on now. And then was a bit brave enough to go around and sort of try a few different things and see what was going on. But that like, that kind of like puts it perfectly. I mean, Robin is an incredible uh, tour guide. She's an yes. amazing, she's an amazing person. Yes. Um, but just having that person to kind of like talk you through things and just like actually, because when you are having beers and stuff that are quite challenging, it's nice to be able to have some sense of interaction because if you just drank that in a room by yourself, you're probably just going to go, yeah, I don't like that. But if someone can kind of guide you through it a little bit more and, and tell you the processes or, or what things are happening in those uh, with the yeast and, and, yeah. and the fruits and, and then, and then you can, I think that sense of appreciation starts helping your palate develop. I don't know. I could be talking absolute bullshit, but that's kind of what 100%, like, Obviously, I think Robin had, she'd had a few years and worked in different breweries, sort of like, you know, across the other side of the world. And she, 
and she yeah she's just she has a very good way of explaining everything and she she was just like it would be very sort of tart to begin with but like once you've got over that like try and see if you can bring out you know pick out flavors within the beer and it's not sort of that sort of initial oh when you first try it um and that yeah i think that's when i slowly over that weekend started to understand why people like sour beers i sort of like i don't think i still like them at that point myself but there were certain ones i think i had one from the guard and it was that 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 literally was mind-blowing i was like this is incredible it was um i can't remember what beer it was but it was it was great yeah that's some like the guard yeah that's some heavy hitters as well they they they've got such an intensity to their beers (laughs) so coming back from that having a horrendous hangover yeah you know when you when you settled back and you kind of got back uh to your normal state did that feel like a real kind of eye-opening experience it really did yeah and I I feel like once I'd had that experience and came back and obviously the the whole team had all like the reason why we got to go there and why we were all taken as part of the work trip was for us to um, to go out and try as many beers as we could and find ideas for Cloudwater ourselves to sort of and what we would want to bring. Um, so obviously we all got back and we all got together and then it just it sparked conversations within the brewery and it was like, oh, we had this you know amazing beer and can we do something similar and blah, 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 blah. Um, and I think that's when I... I think that's when I really caught the bu- the bug of being really interested in trying to find out, you know, all these different breweries and beers, and and then that I think that's when I ended up being full heading or all, all consuming into the beer world. Yeah, well, that's a that's a good way to do it, and and again, I think you had two sides of it there because you had obviously the experience of going there, but then that going back into a brewery and hearing the conversations that have been sparked by these beers and then actually like trying to put that into motion as producing these kind of beers like that's that's super exciting because there's not many people you get like you can go to a festival come back and be like oh i really enjoyed those beers but like the chance to be like let's try and brew some wild fermented aged on oak sours or something like that you know and it was and it was just not for me at that time i think it was too soon for me at that point but it was good for the guys to be sort of around people in the industry and networking and I know Paul used it a lot um to our advantage getting to know people because obviously MVPC brings the sort of head brewers directors owners of all of the you know I mean there's like I think at that point there's like 80 breweries or something and they're all the best breweries from like all over in the sort of US and whatnot and yeah I think that again it sparked conversations and you know people could pick their brains on like if we had an issue with something we could try and find that out by sort of speaking to people within the industry and our peers so um like I said that year particularly I didn't really do much networking because I didn't really know anybody and I was like I have no idea who's who um but the following year um for sure that was sort of did you guys pour it the following year we did, yeah. So um, I remember Paul getting the invite and he brought us all down to the brewery floor and got us all in a circle and he was like, I've got some really exciting news. And we were like, oh. he was like, we've been invited to pour at McKellar. And that was basically a meeting to say, we're wiping clear the, the brew schedule and everything's going to be from now on brewed towards taking it to NBCC. Wow. 
um, that was that was a big moment for us, and we were all really excited because we were also we all knew we were going to be going again. Yeah, it was um, it was just be. I think there was like fifteen of us by that point when we went. Us as a brewery as well. Like Matt had been over there and volunteered a few times. Um, loads of our friends had been over there and just volunteered behind the bar and always come back and be like, man, yeah. it's just like. So that was it. That was a festival that we always, always wanted to get to. And we were invited this year was our first year that we well, got invited. That- and uh, and obviously it hasn't come together. It, it might still come together, but at a different time. And yeah. I'm sure I'm sure we'll get it. But it is it is a kind of well, it's heralded as one of the best festivals in the world, really. Like I don't yeah, think there's much many well, other things. That's, yeah, that's how Paul always sort of explained it to me when I when I didn't know anything about it. And he was like, "Oh, it's sort of the pinnacle of the of the craft beer world, mm-hmm. and everybody wants to kind of be invited, and you have to sort of earn your place. Um, it's not sort of it's not one of these ones that you just sort of willy nilly get invited to. It's it takes years of Six years of having brewing beer, but also smoozing Mikel so that you, he bids your friend. So. <laughs> Give us a bit of a background on, because this this poses another problem, which is like when you just put everything in production for a festival, that means that you don't really want to pour anything or sell anything before that festival. It wants to be premiered at that festival. It's yeah. probably going to be massively outlandish beers, which is going to make it really expensive. So can you remember the first kind of lots of beers that you were trying to shift that were like festival beers or all the ramifications that were involved with like, yeah, brewing for a festival? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think I'm pretty sure there was, I mean, someone might correct me, but I'm pretty sure there was a couple of batches of beer that didn't make the cut. Um, mm. And then we had, and then like you say, Paul wanted everything to to premiere at NBCC. So it wasn't to be poured or tasted by anybody else. It was all to be, so that's eight beers. I think it was eight beers. Yeah, two per session. So eight beers that had to be held back. And at that point, we didn't really, well, we kind of had the room, but... I don't think we had the racking in the cold store at that point. So it was like, where do you want me to keep eight batches of beer? Now the minimum we do is 24 heck. And it was like, uh, okay. So that was difficult keeping them back. Um, But I guess it was worth it. I think we sort of sent a few out just before the festival. Mm -hmm. Um, But literally, yeah, I had to pretty much just try and stash it and try and sell everything else a lot quicker to sort of keep room in the cold store but all of these things i guess you know i'm just thinking of it now but they they really evolve the beer scene because if it's not for that festival a certain beer that is kind of might be quite pioneering in its field is not going to get brewed I, i know that we've done it multiple times just gone all out because you want to make sure that when you're at that festival the beer you're pouring it just cannot be substandard you can't get lost in a crowd you need to make some noise and that and that pushes like you as producers to do something as exciting as possible so when that person tries that beer they're gonna walk walk away and like i mean you are bordering on like uh incredible to just outlandishly preposterous and people aren't gonna get it at all Exactly. Um, I think it was obviously at that point in time we were famous or what was sort of, you know, making our reputation for us was the, the V-series I mentioned before. So we had to, 
we had to hit the heights of like V3 basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we got invited, we got invited onto the new Brewers Bar. And then just before the festival, we got upgraded and we got upgraded to like a full bar. So I think on the Brewers Bar, I think you have one beer. Um, or maybe it's two, but you only take like 20 litres of each beer or something. And then you go, yeah. you get upgraded. You got upgraded to sort of like a normal bar and you could bring a, a greater volume. I think it was meant to be like 30 litres of every beer. Now, we never got told that we got upgraded, or well, I didn't at least. So I sent a load of 20 litre kegs and we basically kicked. We sold out pretty quick, um, which is obviously great. And at McKellar, that is like the thing. Like You want to kick at McKellar like, mm-hmm. if, if you've got a queue and a line for the whole time. That's what you want. Um, so, yeah, we, we pretty much sold out and we seem to get a really good feedback from a lot of the beers. Um, so I think we had a dipper on every session. And then we just tried to sort of figure out what we would pour on the rest of it, like an IPA or a... So explain to me the contrast of like your feelings of that first festival where you like forlorn, sit there by yourself, not really knowing anyone, to that second festival of like kicking all your beers, which is super exciting at that festival as well, just to feel that like people are really interested in what you're doing. Yeah, it was it was complete it was completely different. Like the whole the whole time we were in Copenhagen was completely different for me. Like I'd like the first time I'd never been to Copenhagen before. I didn't really know anyone in the beer scene other than the people at Cloudwater. Didn't understand the concept of NBCC at that point. And then to flip a year later to obviously meeting a lot of people over the sort of UK beer scene and festival scene, obviously getting to know my, you know, my colleagues a lot better and our team growing. And we, and because Paul was pouring behind the bar, we kind of we literally just got free reign. So we just we just went out around the festival and just had a great time meeting new people, getting to know new people, and trying loads of great beers. And it was just a much more enjoyable experience than the first year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've known each other for quite some time now, and it's so cool having this conversation because I didn't know any of this. So it's really interesting finding it all out. And I can, I kind of watched it as a spectator, that kind of really steep, just incline of just people getting more and more excited. And yeah. then you guys start dropping cans. Um, and that, again, 440 cans were not really done in, no. in the UK. It was, three, it was the sort of 330s was a trendy thing at that point. Um, I think it was like Beaver Town was sort of leading the way with Neck Oil and Gamma Ray. Mm-hmm. I remember having the conversation with Paul and I mean, he always has, isn't, he never just thinks of these things and like, that's just what he's doing. He's always researched it and I thought about it. And I guess, I guess, again, this is sort of stuff that he brought over from the US. Like mm. they have their, I think, is it American pint cans that they have over there? I don't know how many mills that is, but they're just slightly bigger than a 440. Yeah. I think he just kind of brought that over and, you kind of saw the vision of like these were going to be the new the tall boys were going to be sort of the new the new done thing and uh it proved to be a good move so well yeah i mean it is they are literally everywhere now like and, yeah. and to be honest you know we had your bottling line after you guys and started canning and we were just find out people like oh the beer is really nice but no one buys bottles anymore and it was just like, it just became quickly apparent that it was just, you know, bottle shops were becoming 
can Can. shops (laughs) um do you do you remember like the was there a real kind of like skepticalness about when you started doing those cans originally because the other thing is that you were doing high abv beers in a 440 can which again people were really like why would you want to drink a nine percent yeah how much you want 440 mils of a dipper yeah yeah 100% we had quite a lot of comments from sort of you know just the general sort of public online on twitter also from people in the industry saying that like you know like 330 mils is you know you should stick to that like that's a safe bet you know that's what sells blah 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 but then also people told paul in the start that not having a core range would be catastrophic for your brand like it just Mm -hmm. wouldn't work and that it proved to be the complete opposite like that's what made us different to everybody else that was our unique selling point that we never remade a bit. It infuriated people at the time, but it also meant that people were like, oh, we need to try the new car water. And that, this is kind of interesting because the, those things at the start were super inventive and interesting, but like later on, they kind of started causing a little bit of a problem for you guys, didn't they, on the sales side? Because you were just having like IPA, Citra Vic Secret, this, and IPA, uh, yeah, Mosaic, Columbus or whatever. And people... Yeah, we'd end up having an IPA Citra Simcoe and then IPA Simcoe Citra. And no, yeah. one knew, no one knew the difference and neither did I. And I was meant to tell this stuff and I was like, I'm confused. And then it was ended up being ridiculous, like IPA Simcoe Citra Centennial, just listing all the hops and it just got a bit ridiculous really. So uh, we did have to sort of go back to the drawing board a little bit and have a rethink. The Cloudwater Curve really is kind of quite a strong indicator of just the the UK beer market, craft beer market curve, you know, all those little points along the way really mark changes in people's uh, understanding and, you know, what they wanted, really. If you'd have asked people if they wanted a 440 kind of dipper, they would have said no, but then it's put in front of them and now it seems to be one of the most popular things that people want to... Exactly. It is crazy. Like, the way things change at the time, it just kind of happens and you don't really think much of it, but and then you look back and like reflecting on it like this, which I've never really done in great detail, to be honest. So it's nice to do so. Um, it's a bit, it's a bit mental. It's a bit crazy. And because there was, because then hopping rates became a thing as well. Yes. And <laughs> again, you guys were really pushing the boundary on that. Uh, was it the, was it the second birthday dipper? Was that, that was the hand with the two fingers, wasn't it? Uh yes. And was that in was that in can or was it the third birthday? It was like a green can. The the one with the with the yeah, the piece was on a green can, I think. Was that not the first one? Oh I, I can't remember. I, I, I was hoping you'd be able to but that yeah, that the, that was the first I think it was because we we hadn't long been in cans, so we did V thirteen. That was the last of the V series and that was in can. And then not long after that, I think it was, yeah, the the birthday dipper, which was the piece. The so the, that was Cloudwater's second birthday, was it? Or yes, was it? it was the first like, birthday beer we'd done. And then, but that was like, I just remember that beer so well because trying it was like, oh, this was like, it was super intense. Like the hop, hopping rates on that beer must have been, at that time, like stratospheric to, to what it is now. And I think it might have been like 32 grams per litre. Yeah, something because like, we were, we I think we'd already got up to doing like either twenty grams or t- maybe even twenty four grams a liter. 
on the dippers. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think with the birthday one, we went all out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like you, you you hit on there, like brewing for sales is totally different to brewing for yourselves and going through that phase of just like where everyone is just ripping the beer out of your hands. So you're like, we'll push this the as much as we want, you know, like, and we'll do the hopping rates as high as, and then trying to bring that back into like, okay, we're a scalable business now that it needs to to function uh, yeah. on a on a bigger platform because we actually have the beer to supply these people <laughs> and they need to be able to buy it. And again, you said about the, um, the price of things because people weren't used to those dry hopping rates, which obviously is comes down into the, the bottom line, which is the price that you're selling that. At. And, I'm, yeah. and, and you guys definitely got a lot of pushback from a lot of people. And how did that feel? Was it, did that feel just like a wave of negativity that you were trying to deal with or did you just kind of have to push through it? Um, a little bit, yeah. But we always kind of had belief in the product that we were producing. Um, I mean, in my personal opinion, not like a cloudwater opinion, we got to a point where we were over-hopping our beers. It just wasn't necessary to put that many hops in a beer. It was just mm-hmm. kind of... It, a, it just affects your yield, like you massively, you know, you dr- all them hops you're putting in there effectively just cuts your yield down massively. And then, I mean, I'm not sure what percentage we're at, at that point, but um, it just it just bumps up the price of the beer. The price per litre increases and increases and increases. And it's hard to justify putting that, on, putting that sort of price difference onto the consumer if it's something that we're choosing to do and it's like an efficiency process kind of thing um but the products we were producing were still like really you know great tasting beers um so it was you you kind of there was some people that understood it there were some people that didn't you just kind of had to sort of ride ride the negatives with the positives and try and, and I guess for the consumer as well it was, a, it was a learning experience for them to understand why we were putting so many hops in and I guess that's why we took the decision to put the hopping rate on the can so people understood why why this DDH IPA was almost as expensive as a dipper even though that's you know a difference of ABV is quite high and we're not having to pay that higher duty rate but it's still like the hops are expensive and that's probably the most expensive ingredient in it. So it's, that's what, that's what ends up bumping it up, but that's also what gives it its, you know, uniqueness and its flavor. So. And that's all growing part, uh, growing pains of being a new business as well. It's like you, especially if you're trying to ride that front curve, you know, you're trying to push things forward and be innovative and, you're going to go too far at points and then you're going to have to reel back and and you know that that those cloud water days are a real kind of like a manifestation of that process like it was pushed really 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 far forward to the point of like 42 grams per liter dry hops and stuff like that and then yeah you reeled it back uh to just find find that sweet spot yeah, 100%. There's so many like stages of your career with with cloud water so I was wondering if you could kind of bring us into the last the like last kind of quarter of, of when you were there because you left uh, not that long ago really no I left in like March that March in March so, so you've gone through all of these different phases the real upsurge the kind of plateau the slight dip 
then another upsurge, um, and then obviously finding your way with all these different things. And how were you feeling after all of these things? Were you you felt your feet firmly grounded in the the craft beer kind of world? Yeah, pretty much. Like you've just you've literally just kind of described it. It's been sort of a, an up and down wave, I guess. Sort of it started off very much, you know, massive upwards upwards curve and. Um, there's been, and I, from obviously from my beginnings of not having any knowledge or any experience in the craft beer world and coming into, to do a job that I didn't have any experience in and then actually not end up doing that job at all and completely sort of being switched into the sales side of it. And I, I basically just did what I thought needed to be done and I used my common sense and sort of. I guess, I don't know, I just kind of paved a job for myself and Paul gave me that chance to do that. So, um, and it was, and it was, I was always on a learning curve, basically winged it from, I always say this, this is not like a, a, don't say this is a secret, but I, I basically winged it from day one. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm in the same boat, so we're, we're all good there. Hannah. A lot of people in the craft beer world are they'll pretend that they know what they're talking about, but actually a lot of us don't really know what they're talking about. <laughs> but it's it's just kind of opened my eyes and for me, not also sort of on a professional level, but also a personal level. Like I came into Cloudwater and I think a lot of people would say I was I was very shy. I wasn't really very outspoken. I wouldn't ever like talking about that first year at NBCC, I wouldn't ever go up and talk to somebody new on my own and be okay about that like 100% that's why I just sat on my own on a bench because I was like I'm scared I don't know what mm-hmm. I think these sort of having been thrown into a, a, a fast-paced growing business where I was sort of very quickly brought into management um, it forced me to be more confident it forced me to get involved in conversations that I might not have wanted to have it forced me to learn about how to sell things or speak to people or do you, know, do you know what I mean? And sort of learn a learn an industry that I had absolutely nothing I knew absolutely nothing about at the start, um, and and obviously the team that then gradually got brought in, and I was my, I ended up sort of being it was me and Mark who were the sort of second level of management, but below Paul it was it was quickly. I felt like it was more of a family thing for me, really, than than anything else. Um, mm-hmm. So I've seen people coming in and growing, and like watching Mark grow, like from coming in as an assistant brewer and working his way up to being brewery manager, and he now he runs that brewery now. Like that's that's his little baby, and it's been it's quite heartwarming to see, really, to see how people grow. And, and this is why. Yeah, this is why I wanted to speak to you, Hannah, because I think that like a lot of people, the craft beer scene is almost like the music scene. Like a lot of people want to be involved in it and there's a lot of excitement around it and there's a lot of creativity around it. And there's also like a slight intimidation about it, which is what we were kind of talking about at the start. And this is exactly how I feel. I feel like we probably have shared that imposter syndrome quite a lot. And like say, just winging it and just being like, I don't know if I'm doing this very well at all. Like I'm just hoping that the decisions I'm making are having some kind of positive effect, but also to hear you talk about how it really brought you out, 
your shell because it is a very people-centered business and there's some really great people on both sides where you know behind the scenes and the people you meet that are drinking and um and it's not really where i I was going to take this conversation but it's really fascinating to hear you talk about that um going from like a shy person intimidated by the whole scene at NBCC sitting on a bench by yourself to I've seen you at beer festivals now and you're you're ruling a roost roost (laughs) Uh, yeah it's um it's it's crazy and um, that sort of imposter syndrome because you have all these like I often felt guilty for having this job I was like I didn't come into this because I was like, I, I love being, I really want to work for Cloudwater. And, and every person that ever applied for a job at Cloudwater was always so like, you know, for want of a for one of the better phrase, like fanboys or fangirls. And it was, and I was like, I feel like I don't deserve this job because I, I'm not like that. I'm just like, I'm doing my job. I do like beer, but I'm not sort of, I don't love it that much and mm-hmm. you'd go to these beer festivals and you'd see people and they'd be like oh my god I love it I love it I love it and I and it's, it was never like that for me and maybe maybe if I hadn't have got the job at Cloudwater maybe I eventually might have sort of got into the scene on the other side of, of of the table rather than being sort of involved in a brewery but um but yeah I often thought like I was like I feel like I'm I'm stealing this job from somebody that probably would love it or deserve it a lot more than me. But maybe that also worked in my favour that I didn't have this sort of preconception of what a job in the beer industry would be. I've not got that sort of like stars in my eyes. Like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever because it's it's hard. Like running a small business and a business that grows that fast is really difficult. Mm-hmm. And um, often Paul was not around a lot. Like he was... I mean, you see on his Facebook and his Twitter, he's he's all around the world, you know, when there's no pandemic going on. Um, pushing the brewery to its next level and finding out what that next step is. So then it's kind of it's it's up to it's up to us at the brewery to keep it going and keep the cogs turning and keep the money coming in. It's and it and it was like it, at times it was really hard. There's been tears for everybody, I think, at the brewery at some point, but it's all for sort of a love of an end goal of trying to produce the best beer that we possibly can. Yeah. We're passionate about it. Yeah. And I guess like, you know, going right back to that start is that not many people knew what it was like to work in the craft beer industry because there was a very small amount of people that were doing it. (laughs) I had the conversation with Sam from other half and he was saying that in New York at a time, you know, it was a one in a million job, like one in a million people would work in a brewery because there were so little breweries. Obviously, that's changed a lot now. Um, yeah. But I think that kind of element of naivety and and not knowing and then, you know, in, in that imposter syndrome kind of makes you want to do your job really well because you're like, I need to justify this to myself that I'm doing a good job rather than anyone else. Um, and you did. You did an incredible job. So take us up to that kind of the the last year of like Cloudwater and where you were maybe feeling like, you know, you've you've reached the apex of what what you thought you could do there and maybe it's time for a new challenge yeah I guess it kind of it's it's a hard one for me because I I don't know like it was four years of my life that I inadvertently invested like wholeheartedly like it it then ended up being my social life my work life it was kind of I said earlier but it does become all-encompassing and you get Mm -hmm. sucked into this bubble 
because it's a great bubble to be in because everyone's so nice. Um, and I think it was a point where um, we had we just started our online shop and um, our colleague Jeanette, who was running it at the time, left to go back to live in Miami, where she was from. And it left me on my own for six weeks after having help. And it was probably the worst six weeks of my life. I just felt like I was drowning every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually managed to persuade Paul to, to to employ somebody else in sales. So we did. Well, we got Vilma in to cover Jeanette and then Adam came in. Um, and then I think it kind of, my role especially switched massively when Adam came in. So Adam is currently, I would say he's like head of sales now at Cloudwater. Because um, he, he came in from having a, a pretty big job being an area manager for Cafe Nero and he pretty much took on all of my sort of admin day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really allowed me to then step back and actually be a manager a bit better than maybe I had been. Um, and obviously we were then, we had the tap rooms and all that sort of stuff. So I was, I had like quite a large team to sort of try and manage. Um, and not that it kind of, I don't really know. It kind of just, I feel like it just kind of gradually just came to a sort of natural time for me where I felt that I needed, I don't know. It's difficult because with the way that the system is at Cloudwater, not to go into it too much, but it's kind of Paul and then it would just mean Mark and that was, that kind of, that was kind of it. And I felt like I needed another level of either someone to sort of run the tap rooms and manage them because I was I was too stretched and I was I was doing too many different things across too many different people. And I wasn't really getting much like job satisfaction for probably a good eight months. It was just it got to that point where I was lying awake at night and worrying about stuff that I hadn't done the day before. And mm-hmm. it just, I wasn't, it was, it all been so new and so fun and fast paced. And there was always something that physically needed to be done. And I wasn't feeling any sort of like, I get to the end of the day and I'd shut my laptop or turn my computer off and there was stuff was just done. Yeah. Like, like there was no sort of tangible thing that I could be like, right, I've done that today. And be like, I feel proud of that. It was just kind of like never ending. And I don't know, I just kind of felt like I needed a new challenge. And and luckily you got one. Yeah. So. <laughs> because this is, this is really fresh. Like this is like, you only left, like you said, a couple of months ago, three, three or four months ago. Was it now? Uh, yes. Yeah, so more like I finished like end of Feb. Um, yeah. And I started left on a giant on the 9th of March. So and we got, that- yeah, we let's got, go into that. <laughs> yeah, so so you were picked up by Left Handed Giant, who are an, an amazing brewery, an amazing set of people who've just gone through all of these different challenges, but still kind of feel young compared to what the, the processes of the Cloudwater have gone through. Yeah. They've just seen through their crowdfund and their brew pub, kind of expanding things slightly at the... Uh, brewery as well so they've got these two different businesses um and then you kind of get on board with that and then it's straight into lockdown yeah um so yeah i had a i had a conversation with bruce and sort of where he wanted the business to go and what he wanted my role to be and he was like we've never had sort of a dedicated we've never basically we've never brought anyone into the business that's already done the job before 
yeah. very much sort of trained people up and done it that way and sort of people have moved around the business is like I want to bring you in because you know you've been there you've grown you've grown with a with a brewery that's like very similar sort of basis and they're like our ethos like ethos now is, is, is a similar thing like brewing sort of modern progressive beers and yeah he just kind of wanted to bring me in to sort of to help push the brand and increase basically get left-handed giant into more sort of specialist bars and bottle shops and also increase sort of like our online store and getting it straight to the customer which is handy because that's exactly what you need to do maybe a little bit more uh like hype hyped up and speedy than you thought it was going to be um so you have literally gone right back to that day one at cloudwater pretty much (laughs) just like in the tornado yeah it was very strange so like my first day i was in bristol i was in bristol for three days came back and then yeah it was locked down that sunday and then I was just trapped in Manchester for, well, so pretty much like last week. Um, and yeah, I did, I said to, I've said to numerous people, I was like, I feel like I've been thrown back two years in my career. This is yeah. like really weird. Like, and also the stage that left on the giant, like that we're at at the moment, we're not producing as much like we produce like almost half of what Cloudwater does. So it was like being brought back to being like not having enough beer kind of going back to all that and I was like this is dead strange but yeah. like I remember like on the first few days when I was actually managed to be in Bristol I kept leaving like really excited because I was like I know what I know what I'm doing like I, I've done this I can help I can I've got something to bring to the table which I never had at Cloudwater because I was always I just I, I had no idea what I was doing back then so it was kind of really nice to sort of have that feeling again of being like I feel confident about this. I had a confidence in myself. I was more confident person at this point. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be great. Like we can really sort of catapult ourselves and the brand and really make sure that we sort of make our stance in the UK beer scene. Um, and then, yeah, and then COVID came along. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings its own challenges. And, you know, every <laughs> every interview I've done so far has obviously covered this because it's such a uh, current I mean, we're all living through it right now and it, it and has affected everyone in various different ways. Um, but yeah, it's it's really cool to hear that you've kind of gone to a place and actually realized, holy shit, actually, I do know what I'm doing here. Like, I've, I've been through this and I, and I can offer something to this. Um, that it's hard when you're learning, you know, you're learning on the front foot all the time at Cloudwatch. You're just going through all these different things and no one really knows what they're doing to a point where you can kind of bring all that back and go, no, yeah. I can see the steps we can make from here and I can yeah. see how we can push forward. Um, like a lot of the time, Cloudwater, it was often we were firefighting on a daily basis to try and sort of figure out what we were doing because everything everything was a thousand miles an hour. Yeah. And um, yeah, to kind of get to left-handed giant and be like, oh, I can actually sort of sit and think about it and relax and because I didn't have – and like my role – left-handed giant i mean what obviously what it was supposed to be at the start was very very sort of specific it was i was sales manager i just needed to deal with sales whereas at cloudwater i was more of a not like it was not officially my role but i was more of a sort of an operations manager mm-hmm. there was sort of a lot of different dealings on that i had to try and 
sort out that you know if something broke in the brewery it was often my problem and I had to try and be the person to fix it whereas at left-handed giant it's not like that's not my problem like somebody else is doing that so it was yeah. kind of nice and also like you say it was nice to know that I'd learned something during the process so yeah I'm still excited about what's to come yeah well it feels like it hasn't even started uh, it's, like, it's, it's like when am I finally gonna start you know getting my tea stuck in and trying to sort of drive forward and what our sort of our vision is um yeah because yeah I spent my first couple of months doing that dreaded online shop back office yeah doing all all the admin and all the queries and it was just it was so <laughs> <laughs> oh well you got you got to do what you got to do I guess you do um, fair, like I can't complain like I'm very grateful that I still have a job yeah um like I couldn't be furloughed at left Island giant because I haven't been there long enough so you know I'm just really grateful to Jack and Bruce for yeah sticking with me and and I hope I've been a help I think I have so well I'll I'll, I'll interview Bruce soon so you can <laughs> listen back to that podcast and see if he just slate you or I'm, no, I'm sure you've done a great job it's that time in the show again where we use another terrible pun where do we go from beer we sit down with Hannah and ask her, after all of this experience working with such a rapidly growing brewery, let's flip it and see where we think it's going to go to in the next five years. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the Thirst Time, and this is our interview with Hannah Murphy. Uh, I, I 100% don't think every style has been explored to its potential. I think there's always... Um, there's always things that we can learn. Um, and I mean, looking over to sort of the US, there are so many years ahead of us in terms of the craft beer scene. And there's so many countries that are behind the UK. Um, it's this sort of, there's always new heights to sort of hit. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how this pandemic has sort of, how it'll sort of potentially slow down I don't know, opening new breweries, opening or bottle shops, or whether whether the pubs will survive. Because um, unfortunately, I think there will be a few places that might not reopen, which will be a real shame. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's going to make a lot of sort of business owners and in every in every you know industry, but especially the hospitality industry, to sort of have a contingency plan. Mm-hmm have a backup plan um like for sure at left-handed giant we were just so grateful that we already had an online shop already set up yeah because otherwise we would probably not still be going right now if it wasn't for that um so it's 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 um, it's hard to it's hard to predict i wouldn't have no idea that this you know craft beer would be where it is right now four years ago um it's um It'll be interesting to see. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Now you really feel like the powers in the. I mean, it it all always has kind of been, but it's really in the the powers in the consumers' wallet, I guess. Like they they're going to kind of design the societies, and we as consumers as well, but design the societies they want and put money into the hands of the businesses that they feel they want to stay there. And I guess that's been really incredible to see that people really want local breweries to be part of their community and and support them and and push them forward and that's something that i don't think 
many of us really knew or knew the scale of of, of what it was. I don't know yeah. if you found that as well. No, yeah, hundred percent. Um, it's I don't know. It's going to be. I just I kind of there's there's pros and cons to I think to this pandemic. I think it's obviously this, the, the awful side of it, but I think it's also there's been a lot of sort of benefits, or it's kind of I'm hoping that it will have. It's definitely brought a lot more customers to our online store direct that might not have even known we were here, and hopefully they'll keep coming back. And because they can get beer fresh from the brewery, um, and I hope, but I hope that doesn't then pull. You know, it doesn't ruin the sort of you know the Great British pub and that sort of hospitality side of things because that's for me that's what beer is all about and always has been. It's been a it's been a social thing, like yeah. drinking at home. Like I've ordered a, you know beers off you guys over this past few months. And I'll, you know, buy a four pack and I'll probably eat drink two. And then I'm like, I end up giving the other ones away because I'm like, I don't really want to sit at home and drink by myself. It's not really, that's not why I'm drinking beer. That's not why I'm enjoying it. Like I do enjoy the beer, but it's it's the whole atmosphere and the whole sort of talking over beers with friends that's always been the thing for me. It's not, it's not ever been a sort of, you know, critiquing it, and obviously I do that as a job. So maybe I, that's why I don't enjoy that as much because I do it all day. But um, but it's kind of I don't want that element to get lost. I hope I hope we can, I hope it can kind of work in both ways. Like people can drink at home, but also go to the pub and have a nice pint of cask. Yeah, and so this is episode seven. This will be, and the thing I've learned from from all of those previous ones is that everyone is pretty much centered around that beer should be fun yeah. you know and and a huge part of that is enjoying it with the people you care about and having a, a good time and you know we get to do that at festivals with other breweries and stuff and then on the other side of that uh, customers get to do it at festivals with their friends and stuff and yeah. and and that's a huge part of it and then com- you know community is such an intrinsic part of what a brewery should be and is, I guess, you know, we we aren't anything other than the people that buy our beer. Uh, And then the other thing that I've learned is that all breweries want to produce lager and drink lager (laughs) all the time, (laughs) (laughs) which is again, brings you right back to the start of things. Um, Hannah, this has been so cool to actually sit down and go through your story because we've known each other for years. We've had many, many conversations but never really heard all of these parts and you going from that shy, shy girl into someone like that's confident and, and, you know, being headhunted for a job that you are more than, uh, you know, I can't even think of the hyperbole to describe it, but you're more than adequate for that role. Um, and it's good to kind of know that your, your self-worth um, within that. And, and see what you can do so I think on that note we better we better bring this in and I haven't given you your last question but I think you might have heard it before so if there could be one last beer that you were going to drink or just one one last beer to drink for forevermore uh, it could have been made before or maybe it's never been made uh, what beer would it be for you Ooh. I mean I think it's probably going to be a lager let's face it um. <laughs> I, 
I've been thinking it's been like coming in my mind as I've been doing this interview and I'm like, you're going to say the first beer that you ever drunk is probably the last beer you would want to drink as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I think probably for me currently is uh, Tekken's the Hell. I think, I mean, I still drink, I still drink Augustine Edel stuff. Like I still love it, but there's a, a, a cleaner, crisper thing with, with Teg that is just... I don't know. It's another level. I'm still searching for a lager to beat that one. So, yeah. <laughs> it's an amazing beer, and I know I know that you've had many sessions on it down at Heat and Hops and stuff, which was the first hangout that you went, um, yeah. and that probably makes it even more special. But yeah, Hannah, thank you so much for doing this. It's been so fun to talk to you, and hopefully, you know, we don't even live that far apart, but we we should be able to do this in person next time. And there it is, another episode done. Man, I cannot thank Hannah enough for sitting down and doing that with me. Like I said at the start, it was such a trip down memory lane. And also just the openness and honesty that Hannah exudes and kind of lets you know what it's like to, to work in an industry that you, you had no prior experience in. And there's a lot of people that are obsessed with it and really want to be part of it. And you do feel a sense of imposter syndrome when you've kind of just, I guess it was right place, right time. Um, But Hannah is so good at what she does. And the guys at Left Handed Giant, I'm sure, are going to have many, many great years with her working there. And yeah, I just wanted to say a big thank you for that. It's a different kind of conversation to maybe ones that have been before, but really, really, really important, I think. So thanks again for listening. I am Stefan Melbourne. This is Track Brewing Co. Presents the First Time. Don't forget to leave us a review. Also, I've been meaning to do this on every episode. A huge, huge, huge shout out to Tom Coucher, a good friend of mine who puts all these shows together and has written all the music. And I've been such a rubbish friend that I haven't given him the credit that he is more than due. So thank you, Tom. I know you listened to this in the edit, so thank you very much, man. Right, we will see you next week. Thanks again. And as ever, stay thirsty.